What's up and welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson and greetings from the Oxnard Sports Performance Center here in Metairie. It's a very happy facility today as the Pelicans took down the Portland Trailblazers last night, 138 to 117, creeping closer and closer to the eighth spot in the Western Conference and now only one back in the loss column against the Portland Trailblazers. He also secured the season series win over Portland as you're up now three games to none with one more to go post-All-Star break. The Blazers now 25-30, and 30, and they also have a tough game tonight as they're in Memphis to take on the Grizzlies. It was a shaky start for the Pelicans as they were down nine after the first quarter. A lot of turnovers, but the Pelicans really bounced back. Only down two at the half and then exploded in that third quarter. 41-21, they outscored Portland. And uh, Zion Williamson, a new career high, 31 points, nine rebounds, five assists. And how about 11 of 14 from the free throw line? I couldn't keep up with how many records he broke or, you know, he's had 14 plus points in each of his first nine games for the Pelicans. Um, if you talk about the only other three players to do that or the last three to do so, Dikembe Mutombo, Akeem Olajuwon, and Michael Jordan, uh, Zion Williamson, some pretty good company. And again, all these things he continues to break. Uh, I would encourage you to follow at Pelicans PR. They have a lot of great numbers on what Zion's been doing. And um, also they had a franchise record 40 assists last night, the Pelicans did. So the ball movement was there, six players in double figures. You had Drew Holiday really doing a great job on Damian Lillard defensively, also adding a double-double with 16 points, 10 assists. Josh Hart stepping up without Brandon Ingram, 17 points and six rebounds. You had J.J. Redick off the bench with 20. Frank Jackson stepped up with 13. Nicola Melli with 10 points. So you're starting to see these guys really starting to, you know, adapt to their roles, and they really play well with each other and play for one another. And it showed last night in a 138 to 117 win. We'll hear from Ben Golliver, who covers the NBA for the Washington Post. He's in Chicago as we speak, covering this weekend's All-Star game. We'll talk to him about the weekend's festivities and also the Pelicans leading in to the All-Star break. One more game to go for New Orleans as they welcome in the Oklahoma City Thunder tomorrow night. More on that once we hear from Ben Golliver. And of course, the Pelicans hopefully will gain a little bit of momentum here with a win tomorrow night. They'll go on a four-game winning streak as they begin a West Coast trip post-All-Star break. As we mentioned earlier, joining us now on the Pelicans podcast is Ben Golliver. He covers the NBA, national NBA writer for the Washington Post. We've been trying to get Ben on here as he's been covering the Pelicans and the rest of the NBA, and he's been gracious enough to join us before he heads to Chicago and the NBA All-Star game. Ben, before we get into the Pelicans, are you ready for the cold that's about to embrace the city of Chicago, the snowstorms, the sub-zero temperatures? Are you starting to have second thoughts here about covering the All-Star game? Well, let me tell you this. This is how unready I was for it. I actually panicked yesterday when I woke up. I saw the, the forecast that said three to five inches of snow, and I changed my entire flight. So I flew early to Chicago so I could not get stuck in the snowstorm that's coming on Wednesday. So I'm actually in Chicago as I talk to you right now, completely freezing. It was like 25 degrees last night. I have plans to go buy a uh, you know, scarf, some gloves, a hat. I live in Los Angeles. I'm completely unprepared, and I'm a wuss, which makes it even worse. So we'll see how it goes. I'm just kind of praying for everyone who is uh, in route today because it looks like we're about to get slammed here. Uh, and it could sort of feel like Toronto All-Star all over again where it was just freezing up there and – uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how the morale holds up. Let's put it that way. Am I? I'm expecting you to have a Serge Ibaka type scarf. Is that the plan for today to get an extra long scarf that goes all the way down to your toes? 
Uh, I wish I had his swag, but I don't, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Uh, I'll, I'll get something more modest. It'll probably be like one color, you know, and, uh, and very plain. But uh, I'll leave that to the NBA players and their unlimited budget. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, we talk about this cold weather here in the next few years. It's Cleveland and Indianapolis as far as hosting the All-Star game. Are we going to get to a point here, you know, after it was in Toronto as well, that just like the Super Bowl, you're going to have to start finding some warmer cities for these All-Star games? Or is everyone pretty much okay with it just based on some of the historic cities that they will be in here soon? Well, I think there's Salt Lake City coming up, too, after those, right? So it's quite a run. I'm not sure that Adam Silver really cares about weather. Uh Uh, You know, I'm not even sure it's a factor for it based on these choices. Uh, I think we're going to be seeing more and more complaining. I'll put it that way. But the way I look at it, it it almost doesn't matter where All-Star is for me because I just love this event. And, And the special one about this year, and Zion's right in the middle of it for you guys, there is so much new blood. I think it's like eight first-time All-Stars. Brandon Ingram, obviously, as well for you guys. And the Kobe Bryant, his recent death is going to kind of cast a shadow over this weekend. There's no question. But I think the second biggest story of the whole weekend is just how many fresh faces there are going to be. I mean, you even saw it in the draft where you know, Giannis is uh, you know, jokingly referring to Brandon Ingram as Kevin Durant. You know, there's a little bit of a pass-the-torch element this year because so many of the established stars – from past years, you know, maybe guys like Dwayne Wade have retired, but then also some of the other guys like Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry are just injured and out. So I, I think what we're seeing is a great opportunity, kind of regardless of where the market is, for the future of the NBA to have a showcase, and that's really what I'm looking forward to this week. We've seen that we've seen the the NBA tweet the All Star game. I know this year it's a little different with the circumstances with how they're going to do it with the quarters and the charity and honoring Kobe Bryant, of course. But in the past couple of years, you know, they've done. A lot of things are trying to tweak All-Star Saturday night, the Rising Stars game. You know, there's a new element now in the three-point contest. Is there a perfect scenario for what the All-Star weekend can look like? Because I know everyone has their opinion about, you know, the All-Star game itself is just a bunch of lobs. There's no defense. I know a lot of people like to see that. But do you think in the in the future there could be some more changes as far as how this All-Star weekend goes? Well, I think one thing we're seeing from Adam Silver here recently, it's the, the value of experimentation. I mean, you heard him float out the idea about maybe changing the length of the schedule, maybe having a midseason tournament, maybe, um, you know, reseeding the playoffs, maybe having a play-in tournament. I think he's, a, he's an ideas guy. He's an innovation guy. He always wants to shake it up and be different. And he's not so tied to this idea of, well, the way that we did it 25 years ago is the way that we have to do it this year. Now, everyone knows, I mean, there's been some bad experiments gone wrong, you know, at All-Star Weekend. Like, remember the dunk wheel where they're, like, spinning the wheel during oh, yeah. the dunk contest and you had to go out? I mean, how bad was that? Like, and that was one where, okay, uh, you know, we're not bringing that one back. Or they had the teams that one year where, you know, I think John Wall, like, technically won the dunk contest, but it was sort of his team had won it. Yeah, that was here. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so there's been a couple like the way that haven't been great. But in general, I like the idea of experimentation. My only real concern, though, is is this fourth quarter counting up the 24 thing going to be too complicated for the average viewer? Are they going to completely understand what's happening during that All-Star game? And then also my concern is it doesn't take very long to score 24 points uh, in the All-Star game. So unless these guys really ratchet up the defense, that fourth quarter could be really quick and we could all be sitting around saying, wait a minute, the game's already over. Uh, You know, it didn't last 48 minutes. The, The whole thing was over in like 39. So um, they, they took some risks this year. I guess I'll just put it that way, and I have no idea how it'll play out, uh, but I'm hoping for the best. Yeah, I guess we'll find out on Sunday night, that's for sure. Um, let's talk about the Pelicans here, and you mentioned Brandon Ingram, um, his first career All-Star bid here is hopefully he will be able to play. He's been battling an ankle injury, and we'll see if he plays tomorrow night against the Oklahoma City Thunder, but 
Obviously, you're based in L.A., um, coming from the Lakers, and now his situation here in New Orleans. Kind of what have you seen from Brandon and how his game has evolved, evolved, I should say, this year with New Orleans? Well, I knew for sure he was going to be the one of the biggest individual winners from that trade because the opportunity in L.A. was just a little bit you know, forced, right? With LeBron kind of showing up out of nowhere, taking all the attention, taking off all the spotlight, and then kind of marginalizing people around him. And, you know, there was a scenario where, uh, you know, maybe if Brandon Ingram was like two years older, uh, he and LeBron could have had a really, really nice duo, right? But um, at that stage of his career, he was still trying to, you know, feel himself out, build his game up. Uh, hone his skills, and it just wasn't a very good match from early on. But you could also just see the raw potential when he was in L.A., there's no question, and it was a matter of can he stay healthy, um, and then can he fill out his offensive game so he's capable of getting all the way to to the rim and finishing through defense. He's capable of comfortably shooting the three ball uh, on a high-volume type basis uh, rather than just sort of settling into that comfort zone of the mid-range, which he really preferred earlier in his career. And what we're seeing, I think – you know, in New Orleans, for lack of a better term, it's just the blossoming of the flower, right? He's like coming exactly along uh, like we hoped uh, in terms of becoming an all-around offensive weapon. Very, very difficult cover. A consistent night-to-night scorer, uh, capable of kind of being a lead playmaker at times where he's attracting so much defensive attention. And I think he's done a pretty nice job of rolling with the punches on Zion's return, right? Like their their season got thrown upside down twice. I mean, first when Zion got injured, and then second when he comes back. And the person who's going to feel the brunt of, of that change more than anyone is going to sort of be your lead scorer in that role because obviously Zion's a pretty high-usage player and is going to have the ball a lot. And so for Ingram to step up when Zion was out, I thought was excellent and showed a lot of character and a lot of adaptability from him. But then for him also to be able to take maybe like a half step back almost to accommodate Zion uh, when he's back on the court, again, it just shows sort of a team investment uh, and an understanding of his role and, and how the Pelicans are going to be uh, you know, best suited to winning kind of from a long-term perspective. Because when I look at it, like, you know, in your big picture as an organization, Zion's going to be your best guy for the next 10 years. I mean, I just see him as a franchise player. I saw that when he was in Duke uh, very early on, just because of his physical tools, the mental makeup, the drive, the consistency, work ethic. I mean, all the stuff that you want, he's got it. He checks all those boxes on top of just the incredible body that everyone raves about. And so I think for Ingram, it was a nice opportunity to sort of uh, flex his muscles when Zion was out, but then also to settle into a role that could be, you know, really play to his strengths here uh, as they grow together going forward. I know a lot of people as the unofficial start of the second half begins after this all-star break was where the awards come into play, MVP, um, Coach of the Year, all that stuff. But when you look at Brandon Ingram, is it safe to say that he could be a strong candidate for the most improved player based on where he came from last year with the injuries of the blood clots and what he's been able to do this year with New Orleans? No question. I mean, I think he's probably in that conversation right now as the favorite, right? I mean, one other guy who I want to show a little love to would be Pascal Siakam because I was real high on him coming into this season, and it's one of those situations where, like, uh, you know, the vision becomes a reality for him. I mean, his numbers are way up across the board. Toronto's just been doing an incredible job winning. And it, it could be a situation where if voters are uh, deciding between Ingram and Siakam, maybe some lean towards Siakam just because of the Raptors record. Uh, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, one factor. But I think for Ingram, like, if he can get the Pelicans and, and help them lift into the playoffs, like as a number eight seed, I think that would really, really underscore his, uh, his case. 
But yeah, it's a, a very easy story for a lot of uh, voters to wrap their mind around because he was able to get the all-star nod, uh, because he's putting up just gigantic numbers, and because it looks right, too. But when you have a big uh, wing like that, you know, long arms, uh, you want him putting pressure on the rim constantly. You want him stretching defenses out behind the three-point line. And I think that was the frustrating part, in addition to the injuries earlier in his career, where he wasn't necessarily scoring in the quote-unquote modern way as much as he could. Uh, and, and you look at Ingram now. I mean, he is kind of that prototypical you know, modern scorer you know, going forward. You could just bank on him for 20-plus a game for the next eight years, right? And we can all just pencil that in. Uh, I've also loved, uh, you know, as a side note, how, who fixed his free throw shooting? Because that has been an incredible development too. I, I, maybe I should write a story about that because uh, you know, he's a guy where sometimes you would almost like close your eyes when you got to the free throw line, and now he's just like completely money, and he's getting there more than ever. Yeah, I mean, Fred Vincent uh, for the Pelicans has been doing a really good job as far as the shooting is concerned for B.I., for Lonzo, for Zion Williamson, as far as free throws, three-pointers. So if there's a man at credit right now. It's assistant coach Fred Vincent for how the shooting has come about here for New Orleans. Um, let's talk about Zion a little bit because, you know, everyone's been talking about him. Put up a career-high 31 points last night. I know expectations. There were so much expectations for him when he made his debut on January 22nd. When you've seen his last nine or ten games, Ben, has he exceeded expectations? Is it everything you imagine? Is it, you know, just kind of what you thought based on how good he was at Duke? What have you seen from Zion here since he came back from injury? No, I mean, I was completely all in, head over heels for Zion coming into this season. And so I was obviously pretty crushed when he when he uh, goes out with the knee injury. Um, and I was taking things pretty conservatively when he was coming back just because you know, that's a tricky spot to be dropped into a team that's in a playoff push. Um, you know, you're getting this insane level of scrutiny. I mean, everybody's flying in from around the country to see your debut, and millions of people are watching on TV. Uh, that's just a tough spot. And I thought he handled the attention brilliantly. You know, it almost like it didn't bother him. Uh, he looked a little bit nervous early on, but he really, uh, you know, came through with, to me, that second-half stretch in his debut was the most fun, probably like five minutes, six minutes that we've seen in the NBA all season long, just period. Um, and since then, he's just built on it. I mean, look, the guy has an overwhelming amount of talent and physical tools. I mean, you're even hearing some of the Blazers players from last night saying, like, we don't know who to compare him to. We're not really sure what we're supposed to do with a guy who's that strong, that fast, that quick. But to me, everyone focuses on the physical stuff with him, and it's always been the mental stuff that really uh, excites me. At All-Star Weekend last year, LeBron praised him for that, too. He's like, look, this guy understands that you know, it's all about you know, competing hard, fo being focused on basketball, not letting any of the stuff off the court distract you. And I think LeBron just called him like a good kid. And that's been my impression as well. Like, all of the attention around him, the fact that uh, you know, he's got the, the sneaker deal right out of the gate, Mountain Dew deal right out of the gate. I mean, just, you know, overwhelming amounts of money and attention. It could really throw some guys and it, it could change their personalities. And he just seems so uh, level headed and just almost obsessed with basketball in a way. Uh, and that's what I love to see, because that's what's going to separate guys who have great physical tools from guys who are really going to be, you know, great all around players, guys who impact winning. I just think he has a really high basketball IQ. Uh, I think that uh, he understands his limitations in a way, like he doesn't try to do too much. Um, and frankly, he doesn't have that many limitations because he is one of the most athletic and, and physical guys we've seen in the NBA basically ever. So um, I guess from an expectation standpoint, my bar was set very, very high. And through these first couple of weeks, I mean, he's exceeded it already. 
How has your outlook on the Pelicans changed with Zion back on the floor? If you see the Pelicans now, um, even going back all the way to Christmas in the last 26 games or 17-9, and nine, some of that was with Zion, some of it was without. But it just seems like when this team is healthy, I mean, they have they have the capabilities of playing some really good basketball, as we've seen here in the last three-game winning streak. When it looks at when you look at the playoff picture, and I know the Pelicans still have some work to do, being eight games under 500. What's your outlook on them for the second half of the season, knowing that they are playing some good basketball right now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they they have looked really, really good at times here lately. Um, the consistency factor is is tricky, and that's going to happen when you've got you know a guy coming back from injury and, and you're working around him. I think that. The dream scenario is they can get through this very clouded, uh, crowded like clot in the Western Conference to become that eighth seed because, I mean, the NBA's ratings, you know, TV-wise were a little bit down earlier this season. But if you want to talk about a ratings bonanza, you know, LeBron versus Zion at the first round, Lakers versus Pelicans would be absolutely out of control from a television perspective, not to mention you've got the Anthony Davis factor kind of, uh, you know, built into that matchup as well. So I think the fact that they have such an easy schedule down the stretch definitely plays to their benefit. I think the fact that Zion's just getting more and more comfortable uh, plays to their benefit too. But I don't view this team as, you know, like a make or break needs to make the playoffs type of team. I think if you're Portland or if you're San Antonio, you know, those kinds of teams that are in this playoff chase, that, that spot is really important, right? Like if you're Portland and you go from the Western Conference Finals to a lottery team, that's really tough to sell to your fans. It's really tough to – even envision like what's the next step for that organization or if you're san antonio you've got this like 20-year playoff streak on the line if you miss it i mean what does that say about your organization are there going to be questions about greg popovich you know popovich's future uh, and things along those lines i think if you're the pelicans if you make the playoffs great you know it's like party on bourbon street if not you're coming into next season with just incredible momentum because i'll be back healthy all the young guys are going to be a year older and you've got a nice core there you know, building the right way. So I do think from that standpoint, you know, you could argue the Pelicans are a dangerous team, much like the Grizzlies, because they don't really have a lot to lose, right? It's kind of all upside from uh, from their standpoint. Speaking of the Grizzlies, one more question here before I let you go, Ben. I know you're busy there in Chicago. When it looks at the team that the Pelicans will have the toughest time as far as making the playoffs, whether it's Memphis, San Antonio, or Portland, who is their biggest competition as far as trying to get that eighth seed here um, in the last 27 games? Well, I'm not sure I ever would have said this a month ago. And in fact, I would not have said it before the season because I thought they were going to be the worst team in the entire conference uh, just because of their youth. But I would say it's Memphis. I mean, these guys have been hanging onto the rope so well all season long. I think there's a couple good coach of the year candidates like Nick Nurse is getting a lot of attention. I think Taylor Jenkins has got to be in that mix, too. I mean, in terms of teams that have overperformed what I expected I would say it's Memphis. They've got a great core and culture already building around Ja Morant. I still can't wrap my mind around the idea that both Zion and Ja played together <laughs> on yeah. an AAU team in South Carolina. Can you imagine going to those games when those guys were, no. uh, you know, before they were stars? But I think that's kind of what it comes down to, man. I think it's the it's the same battle, you know, that, that was number one, number two last June. I think it's, uh, you know, Pelicans and Memphis is going to be really tough. And, you know, Damian Lillard's going to have something to say about it, too. Uh, but I, I think the Spurs are going to fade here a little bit, and I think it's going to be one of those three teams. But I think just Memphis having the early advantage, that plays to their strengths. And you know they're going to get some teams down the stretch that are maybe like you know tanking or at least playing their developmental players. That might help boost up their wins as well. So uh, I think it's going to come down to Jaw or Zion. And I think for you know the average basketball fan, you know the non-Pelicans fan, you really can't lose with either one of those in the first round. 
Should be an exciting second half of the season. Should be an exciting all-star break as the Pelicans will be well represented there with Zion, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and, of course, Brandon Ingram on Sunday. That's Ben Golliver, who's already in Chicago. Ben, please stay warm. I know I'm the same way as you. I cannot handle the cold here. I get cold when it's 60 <laughs> degrees here in New Orleans. So please stay as warm as you can. Enjoy the all-star break, and we'll talk to you down the road. That sounds good. And can you guys start the campaign so we can go back to the Smoothie King Center here in February? I mean, it's probably 80 degrees down there right now, isn't it? And we're all going to be sitting up here in, in uh, freezing cold temperatures. Makes no sense. You know, I don't want to kind of rub in what the temperature is, but I will say you're not you're not wrong. You're not you're not far <laughs> off as far as what the temperature is. So I'll just leave it at that. Ben, I appreciate the time, man. All right, man. Take care. Good stuff there from Ben Golliver. We have a great show for you on Friday leading into the All-Star break. Nikki and Cam Jordan, yes, that Saints defensive end Cam Jordan, will be on the Pelicans podcast. He's a huge fan. His wife, Nikki, played college basketball. They go to so many Pelicans games. You see him at the Smoothie King Center a lot. And so those two will be our guests for Friday's podcast. No podcast on Monday. We'll take a brief All-Star break. And then we'll bring in some more guests for you on Wednesday and Friday leading into the Mardi Gras road trip that takes the Pelicans to Portland, San Francisco to play the Warriors, and ends in L.A. Mardi Gras day to take on the Lakers. But first, the Pelicans have to get through tomorrow night against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Right now, they're sixth in the Western Conference. been one of the biggest surprises in the NBA, and the Pelicans are due for a win against them. Thunder have had their number all season long, winning the first three games of the series, all of them coming basically in a one-month span. So hopefully we'll see a big crowd as we did the other night against Portland. The first 5,000 fans entering the arena will receive a game day bag courtesy of Smoothie King, one of those clear bags. I know everyone wants them, whether you're going to a Saints game, a Pelicans game. So get there early, be loud, and this is another very important game for the Pelicans. Also, on the radio side, leaning up to Pelicans and Thunder, we'll have Pelicans Weekly for you at 6 p.m. Central Time as Todd Graffinini talks exclusively with head coach Alvin Gentry and Caroline Gonzalez goes one-on-one with Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's getting ready to participate in All-Star Weekend in the Rising Stars game on Friday night. So a lot of stuff to get to in these next couple of days. Enjoy the ride, Pelicans fans, because right now this is uh, a lot of fun. And we continue to go on this journey with you. And we appreciate you listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. Of course, speaking of SeatGeek, if you're trying to find tickets to basketball games or any other live event, it certainly can be complicated because there's hundreds of sites and shady pricing. With SeatGeek, you can do everything in one place. Search for and discover the best deals on seats, buy from any device, and sell and transfer tickets in just a couple of taps. Best of all, our listeners will get $20 off their first purchase in the SeatGeek app. Use the code GOPELS at checkout. SeatGeek score the best deals on tickets. All right, until tomorrow night inside the Smoothie King Center. For Ben Golliver, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.